0: Sometimes when you like what we were saying before about when you're somewhere brand new and you have to step away from your autopilot and you get really present with all the people and what's happening around you and the activities. And you're in this like beautiful, safe space with these people with whom you have a couple things in common and in a beautiful place somewhere quite idyllic because you've turned off the autopilot. Sometimes you make the most beautiful friendships there.
1: This is The Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle and we take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. <laughs> All right, I'm here today with Stephanie Willette. How are you doing today, Stephanie? Or Steph, I should say, sorry.
0: Hey, I'm doing really good, Thanks. How about you?
1: Good, really good. I'm down here in Florida today and it's absurdly hot. I was out playing disc golf yesterday and I'm not I don't sweat much, but I definitely (laughs) my shirt was was pretty soaked. So (laughs) it's coming I was live in Alaska in the summer, so it's kind of a kind of a weird thing to just be this sweaty all of a sudden. But where where are you coming from? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Florida's pretty sweaty at this time of year. I am all the way up in Muskoka, Canada, which is about two and a half hours north of Toronto.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. You're s- straight north from uh, where I grew up in Ohio.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's so beautiful here. It's all um, lakes, like dozens, maybe hundreds of lakes up here and cottages and a lot of really rugged, beautiful wilderness. And we're just kind of at the start of of the season here.
1: Let me ask you this, I know a little bit, I know you do water skiing, you're a yoga instructor, and very cool ways, not just on the mat. And <laughs> I know you've, you've traveled uh, doing both of those things, India, Japan, among others. Let's say you and I didn't know each other, we're in an elevator on the way up to our respective hotel rooms. The thing breaks. We're stuck in there. Lights are on. We have plenty of food. Staying Ooh. alive is not a problem. We're just waiting oh, for good. people to open the door. And I say, so what? what's going on with you right now?
0: Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I would tell you that I am the owner of a small yoga business called Subtopia Floating Yoga, and we are kind of right at the get-go for the season of that here in Muskoka. What Subtopia does, we go to people's cottages and we go to resorts. We bring all the paddleboards and everything, and we bring people out on the water to do paddleboard yoga, to experience uh, doing a whole yoga class out on the lake, which is really pretty a special place to get to call your yoga studio. Best studio I've found yet.
1: Yeah, just out on the water, and so I'm guessing each like little movement. Normally, when you're doing yoga, a lot of the stabilizers you don't really feel them kicking in and doing the work that they're doing. But I'm sure on the water, since you have to stay balanced or fall in, you're a lot more focused <laughs> on what's going on there.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right, Jerry The board definitely will let you know um, when you're not in the middle or when you're kind of sending some energy out to one side, the board will let you know. And, you know, when you're on land, the, the ground provides so much stability for you. So when you're on the water and what's underneath you is now suddenly moving all the muscles in your core, and then all the little muscles around your ankles, your wrists, your shoulders, your hips, your knees, like all these tiny little muscles are firing to keep you stable. And so while the lake offers you all these beautiful views and you've got like the sky above and clouds and trees, um, you have to really generate all the stability for yourself. And in that way, the practice is slower, but, um, you really do find you get a whole different like lens, a whole different outlook on, on your practice when you get to practice out there.
1: So you say the season's sort of just teeing off about to, uh, kick off what do you expect uh to come out of it and maybe what's uh what's a normal day?
0: Oh the days kind of shift and change here and it can really depend but um throughout the week, I teach regular yoga at a yacht club, so that's four mornings a week that I'm out there one day a week I head about an hour south and I'll have a sup yoga class at a resort and then I'll have a sup yoga class at a water ski club and then in the evening I'll stay at the club and i um I run a little water ski coaching program for women in, um, water ski shows and it's called she can ski. Um, the can is like, like Canada. (laughs) Um, so she can ski and we take about five girls a night and it's just an opportunity for young women to come on out and be in a boat with other young women and get some coaching and some tips and everyone gets to learn from each other. And it's just such a rewarding little program to be running.
1: What's the skill level of the girls that are coming out for that?
0: It really varies, honestly. Like, we'll get some people coming out who have only really... As girls, we do this thing called swivel skiing. So the swivel ski is one ski. It's quite wide. It, the binding on the ski turns 360 degrees. So the ski always faces the boat. But then because the binding turns, we do stuff like put our foot in the rope and turn backwards. Or you can do, like, full spins Yeah, it kind of looks like ballet, maybe on water, like dancing. And so we'll get some people who kind of have just learned to get up on it. And we might be teaching them, you know, how to point their toes and how to like, lift a leg up in general, just off the ski. And then we'll get girls who are working on 180 tricks and girls who are working on 360 tricks and girls who are working on just like smoothing out transitions. So yeah, to get all sorts of stuff, which is fun.
1: When you're Doing the yoga on the stand-up paddleboard, are there moves that are easy to do on a mat but then incredibly hard to do on the paddleboard? And are there moves that are hard on a mat and then easy on the stand-up paddleboard?
0: Hmm. I'd say probably most things are a lot harder on the paddleboard. Um, even just like your, your typical, if you were like in tabletop, so like in hands and knees and reaching one leg back and the opposite arm forward, Um, like we'll break that down in a couple steps before even getting to that on the water, because it's a lot harder. And if you're doing like, like boat pose, Navasana, where you're, you know, it's like an, a core, a core move where you're balancing on your bum and you've got your legs up in front of you. Um, that's, you just notice how much harder everything is on the water because of the, the wobbles. You're like working with the wobbles. Shavasana. So the, the last pose, when you get to the end and you get to lay there that's probably like way nicer on the water than on land because you can float your the back of your hands in the water and you hear the the lake just touching the side of the board the clouds are floating around overhead it's a pretty great place to to really put everything down and relax for a few minutes
1: yeah that sounds great i was i was at a yoga class i think t- uh, 2 months ago and we did shavasana <laughs> for i think half an hour and i it was my favorite. Absolutely my favorite. And <laughs> the, I kind of felt like half submerged in the floor after a few minutes. And it was this totally really cool feeling. And I can't like being on the lake and doing that. That would be really cool.
0: I think a lot of people, you know, the, the pace of life that we live in right now, everything is going so fast. You know, everyone has to-do lists that are like as long as their arms and it feels like you're never to the bottom. And as someone who like gets to guide movement and giving people this permission to put everything down and you tell, you know, they know that they're there for this class. And, you know, you, you tell them that for these next minutes that they don't have to do anything and that they should try to soften all the muscles of their body and, (laughs) It's too bad we're at a point where people feel they need permission to to put everything down, but it's pretty nice to be able to create that kind of time and space for for people right now.
1: Yeah. And you get to be that person that's like, okay, well, let's do this. This this is what we need to do. and And you see the results firsthand and help them create those results.
0: Yes, totally. It's so special.
1: Yeah. It sounds like an incredibly rewarding position.
0: It really is. I love it so much. Yoga kind of snuck up on me a little bit. You have these different experiences in life, and sometimes you don't see or feel the importance of an experience until years later, I guess. And I think my yoga teacher training was like that. Like I I mean, I had fun and I enjoyed the process and understood what I was learning. But yeah, I guess looking back at that time now, and that you know, I was in India, so I was trying to just capture the experience of being in such a different place, in such a new place, as well as learning everything. And you're you're meeting all these people while you're doing the training. So it's um, you're kind of thrown into this whole experience there. But looking back now, it just was such a, a key point in my life. Like it really changed my whole um, life. It changed how I feel in my body, how I move in my body, how I think, how I interact with other people. It really has kind of bled into every layer of my life in the most magical, awesome way.
1: How did you get to India? What was the decision that I'm going to go to India?
0: Oh, gosh. So at the time I was living in Japan, performing for Universal Studios, had been there for almost three years and knew that my contract there was finishing, knew that I'd be doing the water ski shows with the Canadian national team. So I knew I wanted to go back to Muskoka and I kind of was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> do now that I'm leaving this performing job that I've been at for, for three years? And my whole adult life has kind of been performing. And I thought, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'd like to teach yoga. <laughs> my university degree is in physiotherapy. So I definitely am interested in like the body and movement and health and wellness. But I didn't think that my spot was ever going to be like in a clinic or in a hospital. And and so I thought maybe I'll go do my, my yoga teacher training. And I don't know where else would you want to do it than India, I guess, if, if you could and, and I could, so, so I decided that I would go there to study that.
1: And so you just bought the ticket, went, you knew you were going to get into yoga. Did you look up any programs or did you just think you'd find it when you got on the ground?
0: Oh, um, well, I, I practiced yoga already for like some years. I just kind of thought like, maybe I'd like to share this and teach this, um, it's a pretty funny story. So, leading up to to that point, you know, had been kind of traveling and working overseas and for, you know, the last 10 or 12 years of my life and and from Japan, we'd traveled all over Southeast Asia. Like little trips have been to Thailand and Bali and Philippines and had a a great time. And I think sometimes when you travel that much, you get blasé about <laughs> Some of the processes that happen, like, you know, when it's your first trip, you like look into all the things and like, what immunizations do I need? And I didn't do any of those things. So I I registered with the yoga school. So I knew where I was flying into. And then we flew from Japan back to the States and we were in the States for, um, it was my husband and I, um, we were in the States for eight days at the time. And he was going to work in Singapore at the end of those eight days. And I was flying to India and I had my flight, and he had his flight, and he drops me off at the airport, and they say, do you have your visa? And I said, oh, what visa? Like, like, can't I just buy it now, or don't I just, like, pay for it when I get there in the airport? <laughs> and they say, oh, no, like, like, you can't get on this flight. Like, we can't even check you into the flight if you don't have a visa. And I just kind of stood there, like, <laughs> you know, my jaw hit the floor.
1: <laughs> yeah, because oh. most countries, you get a visa on arrival, and it's all good.
0: Right. Totally all good. And can I swear?
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> can, I, you can, can say I swear fuck or shit concept? or whatever you want.
0: Yeah. I just was like, oh, holy fuck. What the fuck am I going to do? And <laughs> so that day turned into like an amazing race like day. And I'm like in and out of sobbing tears because I can't believe I'm such an idiot the whole time. Um, and we are like driving to, you know, from the airport in Chicago. We're going from O'Hare to the Indian embassy downtown Chicago. And they're, they're like, I have a Canadian passport because I'm, I'm a Canadian. So even though, you know, my husband's American, they're just pretty much like, well, we can't even do your, your thing here, or it will take 10 days. And I'm supposed to be there in India with the course starting like tomorrow. (laughs) And so we, we run all around and getting passport photos that you need for this visa and back to the embassy and trying to get to places before it closes. And, you know, it's a total game of like, one person's got their phone open with like maps going and like turn here and park there and run in here and um, not really making any headway. And the bottom line was that I really needed to go to Canada to get this visa in a hurry. (laughs) And I want to say that this was like Friday or maybe it was Thursday. I don't know. So I booked a flight to Canada the next day and a friend picked me up. It must've been Saturday morning because the embassy in Canada for India is open like Saturday until eleven. And a friend of mine picked me up from the airport and we went straight there and they like processed my visa on the spot. And, you know, you just pay a whole lot extra for them to do that. (laughs) And then I left for for India after that. But I had to forfeit my whole flight. Like I had to buy a new flight and I had to call the yoga school and show up like, I don't know, like three days late and felt like a total loser for not knowing that (laughs) and having not looked into it. but I did, I did get there and, and it was a great experience. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's a funny story. You're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Looking back on it, I'm sure at the time it was awful, but yeah, it's.
0: It really that, was <laughs> at the time.
1: <laughs> that word blase about traveling is that definitely struck a chord in me. I, I take people to Columbia the last few years and this year I took uh, 13 people. I took my grandparents and, um, one of, one of the girls that went, she, she just got, uh, an immunization. They asked me if you need anything. I said, no, you know, you don't, you don't need to worry about a visa. You don't need to worry about getting immunized. You don't need any of that. And, but first she read something on the internet and, went to the hospital and got a shot, got really sick from it. And oh, no. <laughs> it was like, I I thought personally that I was very clear, but then I read through and looked back and it was, I kind of offhandedly was like, oh, you don't need anything like that. And so I, I can definitely see where, you know, if she read something, it was like, oh, well, I've got to do it, you know? And so it was just, it was me being like, oh yeah, we, you don't,
0: it's just, it's just flying to a,
1: Totally different. You'll comp- be
0: fine. You'll be what totally you fine. <laughs> what do you mean? Follow me.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like just do as I do. And then I'm just flitting around, not a care in the world. And they're like, well, that doesn't seem safe. <laughs> so
0: There's all I, different people out there. Hey, <laughs> some people are quite um, organized planners and they're going to need to look up every single thing. And, and I think when you travel a bunch and you get a chance to, See that usually everything works out just fine. (laughs) Then you just are like, oh, I probably don't really need to worry about all that stuff at all.
1: (laughs) Right. For me, I've I've planned, I've had enough plans break down very quickly and have to figure it out. And it you're much more open to figuring it out if you just start from there than if you have a plan that you want to stick to. So I think I've given up on most of the planning. But you know, when you have that many people, you sort of have to plan a lot. So I, I do, I do have a like full comprehensive schedule and itinerary and all that for that. But I've also built in. I, I said re- repeatedly, you know, we plan the big things. We don't plan the small things. Where are we eating tonight? I have no idea. Where, where do you guys want to go? But tomorrow we're going on a seven-hour horse ride. So be ready for that. That's that's my style. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's great, right? It leaves time for, for all the magic to happen. If you're trying to hold on so tightly to, to all the, the here's and there's and the, the organized things, sometimes you, you miss out on these really funny, beautiful, hilarious moments that just happen when you're right. somewhere new.
1: You get to India late, you're feeling like a loser, but <laughs> uh-huh. you <got> this <laughs> yoga thing going on. How, what happened next?
0: I feel like yoga teacher training sometimes can feel like, like school, like you're just thrown into this group of like 20 or 25 people and trying to, to learn a lot every day. And you're practicing a lot every day and you know, you're jet lagged and your body's tired and you're trying to like feel out like, you know, who are the people that I'm going to probably like get along with the best here, but you're eating beautiful food. And I was in Goa, which is like palm trees and beach bungalows, India. Like people were message me saying, are you really in India? Those pictures are incredible. It looks so beautiful there. And I was like, yeah, I am. It is really beautiful here.
1: (laughs) India is a big country.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of different parts, right? But Goa is really phenomenal if anyone wants to go there and check it out. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that whole course happens and it all feels really quick because it is about 20, 28 days. And I like to think that it gives you all these starting points, right? It's like you like look at the first page of a lot of chapters. And then when you leave there, you can kind of say like, "Ooh, like I really liked the chapter about pranayama and breath work. Like I'm really going to learn a lot more about that. Or I really like the chapter, um, you know, about, the movement and asana or i really like the chapter i'm fascinated by the chapter about yoga nidra or i'm fascinated by meditation and it kind of just opens the book for you and then and then you can kind of decide what parts you'd like to dive into a little bit more deeply as you go and i mean it's there's like no no end to it all really like there's to how much you can learn and how deep you can go so it really has been an awesome learning journey so far and i feel like there's so much more learning to do going forward.
1: That's a great way of putting it, that it shows you the first chapter and you can kind of follow it afterwards. Yeah. So you, it was 28 days, you said?
0: 28. The course that I did was almost a month. And well, you, <laughs> minus the days that I missed.
1: <laughs> right, right. Oh, God. <laughs> did you uh, spend any time in India after that?
0: Um, I spent about three weeks there afterwards, but um, because I'd come from... Uh, working at Universal Studios in Japan, which is it's just like the most incredible, awesome contract. And the show that we were in was Water World, which is like the number one rated live stunt show in the whole world. And it's so badass like it's explosions and boats and so much going on. But um, you kind of get a bit of a limited time off. And I had been there for three whole years straight. So I took an extra three weeks after the teacher training. And I knew that I'd probably be a bit exhausted from the teacher training and like kind of taking in so much for for a month there. So I had brought an inflatable paddleboard with me to India and my plan had just been to shift out of the yoga school into a beach bungalow and paddle and read and do yoga for 3 weeks which is exactly exactly what I did and it was awesome. It was just an awesome kind of pillow of downtime before coming to Canada and diving into Subtopia and Launching headfirst into starting my own business, which I really didn't know anything about the process that I I was looking at yet. So it was kind of nice to have that that little pillow of like beautiful, fun, quiet beach water time.
1: I'm sure you're doing tons of shows per week, working a lot during the uh, in the Universal Studios in Japan with like you said very little time off, and then you knew you needed to do this yoga. But then you're like, you know what, before I jump back into all of this afterwards, I need to rest. Basically, you took a rest period. Mm -hmm. Was there a moment during that where, because this happens to me sometimes, I know we're so busy and there's so many things fighting for our time and it's really hard to be, I mean, I know people that do yoga probably have an easier time of doing it. So maybe this isn't anything remarkable to you, but was there a moment where during that three weeks that you kind of just were right there, right in that moment, and something really funny happened, or something that is like a moment you return to a lot now.
0: Gosh, there were a couple, a couple moments I think. I remember I went with two of the girls and one of the guys who were still kind of around for a little bit of time afterwards. And we had gone to one of the neighboring beaches and had a really beautiful meal at this restaurant where we had like talked with the people making the food and they showed us all this cool stuff. And we were just laying on the beach afterwards. And the girls were like chanting one of the like chants that we had learned in the yoga school and the sun was setting. And it was just this like really awesome time that I kind of think of that, that like moment a lot. I also would take out the paddleboard sometimes in the morning for sunrise. I would just tie up I didn't really have an anchor or anything, but they had some fishing anchors. So you could see the bubbles on top and I would just kind of clip the back of my board onto one of the, there's probably a fish trap at the bottom of that. So I just would clip onto that and float out there and kind of watch the sunrise and um, have some like meditation moments. And I, I think about those times a lot as well.
1: The universal studios water skiing job. How did you first get into water skiing?
0: Yeah, this is like, Gosh, like my life passion. I think I, my parents each had cottages with their like respective families before they met. And so my mom's family is from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, which is just across from Sioux, Michigan. And they've got, and they call it, they don't call it the cottage there. They call it going out to camp. Um, But we grew up spending, you know, part of the summer there and learning to water ski and swimming and catching toads and just being outside for, you know, 12 hours a day, every single day. And then my dad's family's cottage, my dad is from Quebec. They're probably about an hour from like Montebello, Saint-Jevet area. And the lake there is, there's hardly any cottages on the lake. We're almost the only ones. And it's kind of down at the bottom of these hills. And it's always so calm. Like if there's a ripple, we would joke that it was rough out. Um, And so we always spent the whole summer kind of water skiing. And then um, my parents found a water ski summer camp. So they started sending me and my sister away for two blissful weeks for them. And this camp was like in Northern Ontario. Like we'd go at the end of June. I'm sure it was freezing and full of black flies. And off we went to this camp where we got to water ski more. <laughs> um, and I was the kid in water ski camp. Who'd be like, it is fucking freezing. Like I'm going to wait till the very, very end and maybe there's not going to be time and I won't have to go now. <laughs> so I, I would, I try to like wait it out, you know, and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, but you know, I was that kid at water ski camp trying to not water ski because it was so cold. But it was really fun. And um, my parents brought back from the boat show one year, they brought back an application for a company called Summer Water Sports that works here in Muskoka. Um, and I filled it out and went for an interview and got the job and started teaching water skiing. And so um, the days were kind of teaching ski school from like nine to five. And then they had... Different shows in different parts of Muskoka on different nights. And so that was kind of like my start into, you know, learning how to climb a pyramid and learning how to do the swivel skiing. And I I did that job for four summers, kind of through like took me through the end of high school and probably the beginning of university.
1: You were the kid at water ski camp that tried to get out of water skiing. Uh-huh. <laughs> you went straight into teaching water skiing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I loved it. I just didn't like to get in the water when it was really cold out.
1: <laughs> gotcha. Okay. So you're doing yeah. tons of water skiing out, not in the, the cold area up there in Ontario, but
0: yeah.
1: Okay. I, I got you. All right. So you the ha- summer
0: camp was like further north. It was like in a place called Tomogamy. So again, beautiful nature, but it's like, it's cold at the end of June. It just really wasn't usually very hot out. <laughs>
1: So you're you're learning how to do this triangle thing, which to me is just I'm imagining the James Bond movie where he's in the speedboat, and then somebody's water skiing behind it, and then in my mind it goes to this comedy routine where there's people now making the triangle, and with the crazy <laughs> on it. What sort of go through the process of like how how do you approach that for somebody that's never water skied before, and I. I've got an hour to learn how to do the triangle. Give me, give me the, the,
0: the pyramid. I was like, where's he going? What's the triangle? And then I was like, Oh, okay. We're talking about the
1: pyramid. pyramid. Um, Yeah. So, okay. Now I know how to describe it.
0: Yeah. Uh I'm like, okay, I'm with you. I'm totally with you now. Um, so typically, um, the girls don't even wear skis. So every person in the pyramid has a rope and then the girls start sitting on the boy's shoulders. And then the boys usually are wearing skis that are like a little bit wider. They kind of look like the girls swivel skis in the shape, like they're a little bit wider and quite round at the front. So that allows the boat, it allows them to kind of carry this extra weight, right? And it allows the boat to not have to go super, super fast when you have all those people out there. And so the boat starts, the boys stand up with the girls sitting on their shoulders, and then we'll start to climb and build. So the boys half the time don't really even know what is happening above them. If everything's going well, they just ski. They'll brace. So they will all take each of them will take their right hand and hold on to the left, like inner bicep of the guy to their right. So that keeps all the boys attached together and like at equal distances. And then once the boys are all kind of linked in and attached, then the girls can climb without fear that there's going to be like a splits situation (laughs) or anything like that. And so everyone will kind of move towards the center, depending on how big it is. If it's like three tiers or four tiers, the middle girls will sort of stand up and the, the outside girls will keep moving towards the center as, the, as some girls keep climbing higher. Um, everything keeps moving in to support what's going on above.
1: Who's got the hardest job?
0: Ooh, um, the boys in the middle. For the girls, I think it's all the jobs are a little bit different and diff- you're well suited to different jobs depending on your size is just kind of the reality the reality of it. So if you're a lot smaller, you'll be one of the girls going to the top. If you're a taller girl, you might be better for a second tier type of thing. It works really beautifully when each person in the pyramid knows what steps they have to take and what jobs they have to do at what times in relation to the people around them. If you know that when the girl to your left steps in, that's when you have to lift your foot to step up. It just allows it to happen quickly and smoothly.
1: Got it. I'm ready.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm
1: ready, ready for my test. So you, oh, good.
0: <laughs> I'll have to like you, send you a video or something.
1: <laughs> no, I think I got it. Okay. <laughs> so you went from uh, doing doing the camps, uh, doing water skiing recreationally, and then your parents are like, "Hey, there's this job," and you got the job, and you started teaching it. And how do you how do you go from there to Universal Studios in Japan?
0: When I started, there were people who were older, you know, I was probably 17 my first summer down on the dock. And there were lovely humans who were kind of 24, 25, 28. And a lot of them had skied and there used to be a water ski show in Thailand. And some of them had skied at SeaWorld in Australia. And some of them had skied at a ski show in Germany. And so you kind of are looking up to all these people going like, wow, they're so awesome. And you're kind of just learning and And then when I, when I thought I, I knew enough, like, not that I knew everything at all, but when I was like, I think I know enough to apply to a professional show, I sent in an application to a company called Waterski shows Inc. And so they do the show in Germany, which is still happening to this day, but they had a lot of shows in the States at the time. And I got a job at six flags, great adventure in New Jersey. So I took that and, and off I went to New Jersey was my first show. And that kind of led into so many other contracts. I worked at a park called Hastenbosch in Japan after that, which Hastenbosch is like, it's a recreation of Amsterdam. I went to Amsterdam years after I had worked at Hastenbosch and I was like, wow, <laughs> they did a fucking great job. Like, it's like I knew exactly where I was, even though I'd never been there because the park that we worked in did look exactly like Amsterdam. It was crazy.
1: <laughs> You're like um, tour guiding for a place you've never been. Yeah,
0: to. and you know Japanese people do everything like so perfectly all the time. So this like place was this perfect replica of Amsterdam. And uh, where else did I go after that? I worked in Beijing in China, where I was a stand-up jet skier. And I worked um, went for a contract in Malaysia. That was so much fun. It was for their fiftieth year of independence as a country. And we lived at this beautiful hotel that was right across the street from the KLCC Towers. And we had one show every day at nine o'clock and we didn't have to be to work until 6 p.m. So we kind of had all day, every day free to explore and shop and be. And that was an amazing, fun time. And eventually I skied in Germany three different times. So I got to experience that show and life in Europe, which was Amazing. Eventually got over to SeaWorld Australia as well, which was just awesome. Life in Australia is great too. And and all that stuff kind of led to applying for Universal Studios. We applied once. My partner then had gotten the job. He was my fiance. And i I didn't, so if you think about on a team there, they might have thirty boys. I'm just kind of picking a number, and they might have three girls. There's only one girl in the show, so they might ha- hire three girls total for a year. And so there's just a lot less girl spots than guys. and he ended up turning it down that year, which always seems like a risk. Like what if we get like, what if I get this job offer and I turn it down and I never get it again? But I guess we got lucky because the year after that we both got it, and then we super excitedly and gratefully accepted and off we went.
1: Why are there less girls in the show?
0: It's just how it's casted. So there's, there's only one woman in, in that show.
1: Um, Oh, okay. And all,
0: all the rest of the cast are, are boys. And so, you know, they just don't need to hire many girls because there's only one, one woman in the show at all, because it's not a, a ski show. So like the ski shows have the pyramids and all the girls on the ballet skis and you need kind of all, a lot more of a, a female um, ratio to to build all these cool things. But because at Universal Studios in Japan and in Singapore and in Hollywood, so it's the same show, Waterworld, that all three parts. Have you seen the movie Waterworld, like back in the day? It was like I've a Kevin Costner a, kind of flop.
1: a little bit of it. I've, and I've seen the meme of him drinking his own piss. But other than that, no, I have <laughs>
0: Right. And so in the, in that movie, like they're looking for dry land, the whole world has flooded, the polar ice caps have melted, you know, so on and so forth. And the whole movie, they're looking for dry land and at the end of the movie they find it. Um, And so the the stunt show picks up where the movie leaves off. So Helen comes back and she says, guys, I've been to dry land. I'm going to take you there. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Like let's, let's do this. (laughs) And then of course everything goes awry and she gets kidnapped and saved and eventually they saved the world. So.
1: <laughs> Let me ask you this. It's not directly related, but I'm, it's like the question that keeps rattling around in my head. So you've, you've lived and worked in Europe, in Australia, in Asia. You say when you travel, it's, it's kind of, you've, you've gotten to that point where sometimes it's blase. And I, I totally, I get that part. Is there something you've learned from living in all these places that it's easy to tell people, oh, well, yeah, you know, traveling opens up your mind, like it shows you all these different ways of living. But is there something that from the the living in other countries that you've done that is sort of a lesson that that helps you a lot every day that maybe isn't isn't a lesson that's really easily shared, like that, oh yeah, it opens your mind. It makes it easier to talk to people, but maybe something that that you definitely see every day or, or even often.
0: I guess the first thing that comes to mind that I just kind of want to blurt out is to be, be curious because you might not, you might think you understand what's going on, but you might not understand like a drop of what is actually going on. So, so be curious. That's That's a good one. Yeah. The, that big lesson, right? You can be in these countries where you can't read, you can't understand, and you're, you're watching a ceremony and you're like, well, what's going on? And, and you think that this and that is going on and you might be way off track. <laughs> um, and that's like a very like big, obvious example, but it could be down to the way that someone will like, you know, in India, how they gesture with, with their head. At first, I really was like, Ooh, I feel like they're going to say no. And as I was there a bit longer, I kind of understood that the head wobble was usually a pretty positive thing. And it usually led to like being a yes. To whatever you're asking, (laughs) a yes or a maybe, but it wasn't usually a no. But your first instinct from Western thing is like, oh, they're gonna tell me no right now. (laughs) And I think I've jumped to like loads of conclusions, but I've I've probably been wrong that many times over that maybe I'm starting to learn that maybe you just need to be curious, like just pause a little bit. Can you ask a question about that? (laughs) Rather than just assuming that you understand what is being communicated or what is being said or what you're watching.
1: A bi- I'm a big uh, sci-fi person, like, and I when I was very young, I read this essay by Isaac Asimov, and it was all about staying curious, staying interested in science and the world around you. And he, he's pleading to people and giving them very layman reasons to stay interested in science. It's like, oh, you'll be more interested in parties, and he's ba- it's basically. Uh, a call for people to always care about science and not you know you don't have to work at it but at least when you see something say oh that's interesting i i want to know a little bit more about that so to me it's i always think of that and remember that whenever i'm learning about new things or in a new place or even in a place that isn't new i i see where i'm not as curious as i once was i think it's incredibly important in a lesson that is it's so good to learn is that staying curious and staying interested in what's going on around you whether it's new or old or anything like that and i think isaac asimov didn't have to plead to me i was already going to be there but i can
0: right. understand right. the
1: sentiment of him just being like, please i want people around me to be interesting and want to know about how this world works too so come on, <laughs> help me out.
0: Yeah. To- I hope you'll share that, that poem or that essay with me. So I would love to read it, but I think you're, you're exactly right about when you said places that are new, but also places that are old. And I think a lot of the times we, everyone, like I do it all the time too, but you, you lose that ability to stay open sometimes when you're, you're in a situation that's so familiar and it can be so magic to try to be like, Hey, well, if I didn't know know what I knew already like how would I see this or how would I approach that and I think that wonder like that sense of awe it it can totally be found in your your everyday. like I'm looking at the window now and I'm watching all the the trees and the pines be like blowing in the wind and I can see like a flag and the movement of the water and I can be really amazed at all of this the world just being the world around me but I think being able to find that that awe and that that openness all the time in your, your day throughout your day can allow you to, I don't know, feel, feel a lot more connected to what's happening around you.
1: It does come back to that. The time that I most, that I saw it happening around me, I, the first time I traveled outside the country, I went to Thailand and it's, everything is so different. I had to learn the language very quickly, which is one of the easier languages to learn, I think. And so I would leave in the morning and i knew the rest of the day would just be an adventure i i was going to be there for two or three months and when i came home at night i was always so tired not really physically <laughs> but mentally because it's every every turn every conversation every interaction i didn't know what was going to happen next i didn't know what was around that corner i didn't know how it was going to end and so i was focusing so much On the present, trying to learn and and get better at what what whatever the situation was. That at the end of the day, I was exhausted, and that idea. It's so. Then when I came back, I was like, okay, well, why don't I have why don't I have that here? And it's I've read now multiple times where people are like, well, you know, with ninety nine percent certainty oh, if I go talk to that person, this is how it's going to go. And this is how it's going to end. And then this is what I'm going to do afterwards. It's like it. And if I, if I go into that building, I know what I'm going to find. And Mm -hmm. so when you, when you open yourself up to situations or places that you don't, or even in places that you do know, just going, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to let my feelers be out more and be more receptive to
0: or have a little conversation with the clerk or with whoever you bump into. I think sometimes we, we don't interact with any of the humans and maybe that's where some of the magic can be in the day-to-day stuff where you're in really familiar places.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's that there's, there's still a lot of magic out there.
0: As you're talking, part of the magic is that it inevitably you have to throw autopilot out the window. So whatever autopilot you operate at home and wherever you live and in your, your day-to-day situations, whatever your day-to-day situation is, you go to a new place and you cannot turn that switch and go, I'm just going to do that. <laughs> so inevitably, it kind of makes you come back to the skills that you have. What navigation skills do I have? Mine, very few. What people skills do I have? What, what, can, I, what can I see around me? You, ha- you do have to get incredibly present with yourself and with the world.
1: You've got the water skiing you or Universal Studio. Is that the is that the last uh, place that you worked in water skiing? Or you have more teaching experience after that, don't you?
0: Yeah. So after after that, Septopia kind of got underway and that was a huge fun undertaking. And the first year is always a lot. And then after that it kind of um, you've kind of blazed the trail a little bit. So it's a, a little bit easier work. And then a couple years into that, there used to be many, many years ago, there used to be a water ski show in Toronto. And then that show went away for like 20 years. And in 2016, they they said that we're going to get this up and going. One of the gentlemen who secured the contract was one of those like older, awesome ski guys when I started. And he had skied at SeaWorld in Australia and he was an incredible announcer and he was one of the people behind getting that contract back again. And then he had asked me if I would step in and kind of be the show manager there, which I did with my husband at the time. And so it was really incredible to get to be on performing, but still like on the flip side where you're like writing the show and creating a show and planning the costumes, which is always my favorite part. I love planning the costumes um, <laughs> and then kind of bringing this whole thing to life and just creating a spot for the people in Canada to the water ski or skiing community in Canada to come and to get a chance to get paid to ski because that was such a, a crazy, awesome, incredible part of my life is getting paid to perform. So to be a part of creating that chance and that opportunity for other people in Canada who are younger and who hadn't had a chance to do that yet it was really cool. So we did that for three, three, it wasn't full summers. That contract's just three weeks. So it's like this crazy, fast, um, hairy experience for three weeks, like putting up a show in three and a half days and then opening the show and, you know, the show runs for two and a half weeks and then it closes. But it was super awesome to, to be a big part of that. They have this thing that happens in the second half of august in toronto it's called the cne which is the canadian national exhibition um and i think way way back in the day it was probably all about like cattle and stuff but but now it essentially is almost like a like a huge fairground um and there's there's concerts and all the fair games and fair rides and it's blocks and blocks and blocks like city blocks of downtown toronto right on the waterfront there and so the ski show happens right on the water on Lake Ontario.
1: How many costume changes were there in the show?
0: That depends on the year. Last year we had a lot <laughs> last year. We had a lot, the guys I try not to give the guys too many. Cause they aren't usually um, as quick or careful with their stuff. <laughs> um, right. But for the girls, we probably would have like three or four at least.
1: Yeah. What was your favorite costume that you've used in that show?
0: Oh, that show or like ever.
1: Uh, well, yeah, Um, give me either.
0: Okay. (laughs) Um, the place with probably like the, the best and the funniest costumes was Germany. And the show there always runs for about 50 minutes. It's kind of a long show in the scheme of water ski shows. I was everything from like, we had one that was the red Baywatch bathing suit. And that character, we had to put like balloons in our bathing suit that would get popped. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. That was a funny costume. Um and then one year that show was like Sinbad so we were all all the genie costumes were so pretty like the big genie pants and like the cute genie tops and um, right. I really uh, love those costumes a
1: lot Sinbad in the movie Shazam where he plays a genie
0: Oh see I haven't seen that movie but I should oh, I should I I'm like terrible I watch so little movies I'm sorry <laughs> This was like so, back in 2008 was the Sinbad year but
1: That seems a little late Oh
0: I've got a good costume story actually <laughs> my very first year when I got to Japan um, in 2003. So that was the, at Hastenbosch at the park that looks like Amsterdam. Um, And I was probably, I don't know, I was probably 22 at the time. And, you know, it's the first couple of weeks there and we're learning the girls were learning all these dances and choreographies. And then our costumes arrive and we're opening the boxes. They're beautiful, like sequins and beautiful colors. And we must have five different costumes and they hand them to you. They're like, Steph, here's yours. And, and I hold them up and I go, holy shit, they're all thongs, thong backs <laughs> <laughs> with like like tassels over your butt or like a little like see-through skirt ruffle over your butt. <laughs> and I just was like, oh my God, my dad would be so not impressed <laughs> with these costumes right now. Kind of a joke and it was kind of funny. Um, ultimately, um, I'm sure we looked fabulous. We got to wear tight, so that kind of keeps everything nice and where you want it but
1: <laughs> right, where it needs to stay
0: <laughs> it was a shock <laughs> yeah hope where you'd like it to stay anyway <laughs> <Right>. yeah
1: uh-huh. <laughs> i mean your the nature of your work uh with the water skiing is is seasonal in japan it, it was more all year round but what do you think uh is one of the biggest takeaways you've gotten from sort of this nomadic life is the word i want to say i'm sure you probably have a different way of describing it but what's what's the big takeaway or the benefit to your life that you've noticed
0: yeah the the biggest takeaway and I, I i think it's one of those like the chicken or the egg like did i have this before or or did i get this from living this way but i i think i have a really high tolerance for instability in my life where maybe I don't always need to know exactly what's next and I I can be comfortable. I can be comfortable with that. I think when you travel a lot too, a lot of these jobs, you know, they're like, here's where you're you're living right now. You're going to like, this will be your room or this will be your little, you know, the house that you're living in. And you learn that, that you can have a lot of fun and with a lot of different people. And you can be quite happy with, you know, sometimes you don't need, Oh, I'm going to probably say this all wrong, but that a lot of people in the world think think that you need all these things to be happy, that you need this this perfect house in the suburbs and this perfect car and this perfect, you know, mini mall that's around the corner from your perfect shopping center. And And I think you realize that there's so many different ways to live and that you can be quite happy in so many different situations. Like I can have a happy life living like this, or I can have a happy life living like this. And I think that opens your eyes to to happiness being kind of in all sorts of different interesting places.
1: You're adaptable. Um, you know that there's a lot of different ways to find success in life. So what are some of the yoga projects that you're working on now? I know you have uh, Septopia, and, but what are some of the other the programs that are going on and the things that you're doing right now with it?
0: Myself and one of my very best friends in the whole world, her name is Kay. Together we co-create and co host a series of yoga events called Next Level Aum. And these events allow participants to take their yoga practice, put their yoga practice on the water or in the air or working with other humans in one awesome spot. I host the sup yoga portion of those events. And Kay is an aerial yogi. So she helps everybody um, take their practice into the aerial hammocks and feel supported and get upside down that way and then together we both teach acro yoga. They've been such such fun retreats and such fun day events. You seem to have created quite the quite the fun family and community of people who get really excited about trying these empowering and um, challenging styles of yoga.
1: Where can they where can people find uh, how to get into these retreats?
0: Oh sure, that's super easy. Um the website for the retreats and our next big big one that we have coming up we're taking it all the way to Costa Rica. So we're super excited to be um, by the beach and by the jungle. And it took us a long time to find somewhere because it's not everywhere that offers paddleboarding and aerial yoga. So we found a spot where we can do all three things that we love to do. And the whole, all these events and the information for them can be found at nextlevelom.com
1: And w- so you're doing acro yoga, aerial yoga, sup yoga. What... What's a normal day look like during the retreat?
0: We'll usually have two movement practices a day. So there would be um, something happening in the morning. So you might start the day with sap yoga and then there'll be different pillows of free time. So if people want to relax or go surfing or go for a hike in the national park, you know, you have time to see the parts of Costa Rica that you're also excited to see. And then we would have another movement practice in the afternoon where we would do acro yoga or aerial yoga. And we might have some guided meditation that will be part of the different, the different practices as well. And three awesome vegetarian meals every day. A few fun activities at night, but they are designed to be a fun yoga time, but also a fun holiday. So you should come. Yeah. I- we would <laughs> love to have you. We would love to have you. Bring all the seasonals, please. That'd be so great.
1: <laughs> all right, we're I'll get them all we'll round them all up and we'll head round down. Round them
0: up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've talked to a lot of people recently that aren't seasonals and that aren't into like the nomadic lifestyle, or they're sort of nine to five and that's that's what they do and that's what they are happy doing. And they're really interested in these retreats, not just yoga ones, but um there's a bunch of different things around the Around the world, I've I've heard a little more about them lately. I think they're a great uh, idea. They're sort of giving people that wouldn't normally travel and have these experiences a safe, like comfortable way of doing that. Is that is that how you see it?
0: Absolutely, I think you hit the nail um, right on the head with that. Because when you sign up for a retreat. You can get really excited that you're going somewhere. And then you know when you go to the retreat that you're going to be, you know, the accommodation is organized. You know that the food is organized. You know that you're getting there and you're going to be, because it's a retreat, so whatever the theme is, but say this yoga retreat, you know that you're going to get there and that you're going to be with a whole group of people who like yoga, you know, are interested in traveling. So instantly you're going to be with this group of people that have, that you have already a few things in common with you know so I think it's a chance if, if you wanted to travel alone or if you had a you know a friend and you weren't really sure where to start it can be a really beautiful start to a trip to start your trip kind of going somewhere a little bit more organized and then it kind of allows you to to warm up to being somewhere and to experience somewhere with a little bit of hand holding and then from there maybe you have to step back and go back to To the regular life, or maybe you have a chance to take a couple extra days or a couple extra weeks and do a little bit more exploring on your own.
1: And one of the beautiful things about it is you're going to get people with similar interests, but also very different lives. And so if you get there and you're like, oh, this is my first time traveling, you know, I'm not very sure, I'm not sure about it. And then you'll meet somebody like you or I, that's like, oh yeah, no, you just go to India without a visa. What do you (laughs) immunizations before you go to South America. What are you, what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> That'll sort of open you to the world of just flitting back and forth between continents. And maybe, you know, if that's what you're into and this is, this is the first step. And I think that, yeah, it's a great, it's a great thing for that.
0: Yeah. It creates this um safe container, right? To, to go and to experience in. So you can, um, you know, step out of the life that you're leading and have an adventure and learn something new, like learn some new skills and meet some new friends. And sometimes when you, like what we were saying before about when you're somewhere brand new and you have to step away from your autopilot and you get really present with all the people and what's happening around you and the activities. And you're in this like beautiful safe space with these people with whom you have a couple things in common and in a beautiful place somewhere, quite idyllic. Because you've turned off the autopilot sometimes you make the most beautiful friendships there and you make the the deepest connections in such a short time with other humans
1: yeah you you get to be a human that is fully engaged and is trying to create connections with other humans around you I have uh, some friends in Thailand and a friend in um, in South Korea and they they both my friend Nat in Thailand, he has two little boys now. And then my friend uh, Jinho in South Korea has two little boys now since oh. I, I met them originally. And it's right. a huge draw for me that I want to go see them again and hang out with their kids. And Nat, I met by playing soccer with a random, like, <laughs> city league pickup team in uh, Lapuri, Thailand. And it's just oh my
0: gosh, like, how neat.
1: <laughs> such a random thing to have happened, but because I was like looking to make these connections and find people and have a good time. And in, in Thailand, I met them and they were very like, open and, you know, I hung out with them and I met their families and we went to national parks and it was just an incredible time. And yeah, you make those connections with people and you're just like, that. that's... Life's cool.
0: (laughs) It really is, isn't it? And uh, you just, sometimes you just meet the, you know, someone will have an anecdote or a story or something to tell you that is, you know, exactly what you needed to hear. Just the kind of story that gives you to take a step that you wanted to take or having that time, that time traveling, that time away where you get to step, step away from what is it. It just gives you this space where you can um, see so much more clearly, um, which I think is such an important part of uh, going on retreat or taking time for yourself and having time to travel is being able to gain perspective and see life more clearly.
1: What do you think the, the state of yoga is right now? I mean, it, it got bigger and bigger and bigger in the last two decades and you're, you're right there on the front lines. What do you think? How do you think it's going? What do you think yoga as a whole is going through right now?
0: Wow. Well, I think that we are at um, a really such a good question. We are at a pretty incredible place in time for for yoga, where health and wellness are becoming such keywords, and you know maybe sometimes overused or used in a different way, but. Being well is starting to be more at the forefront of people's minds and the notion of treating your body well so that your body can be healthier, longer, that idea of prevention versus treating an illness after it already happens, I think is part of a shift that's going on in the world. Absolutely do believe that yoga is for, for everybody. If you can breathe, you can do yoga there's something that you can find, you know, and yoga is not just this collection of poses, it's you know, it's breathing, it's mindfulness, it's presence, um, being able to to really be where you are at a given moment. And I, I think that all of those things are key, 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 key parts of being able to live a healthy life. So what an exciting time to be able to share that. It couldn't happen at a better time. I think it's we all need that so much
1: i definitely agree there the, i was resistant to yoga this
0: <laughs>
1: this winter a little bit but once i did uh-huh. I, it's still not something that i seek out and i'm like oh i know what's wrong i need to do some yoga but now it's it's on my radar for thing something that is like this is it can it can be very beneficial and i've seen the good that it brings to people
0: can I ask you why you were resistant?
1: So here's my thing. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way to start out. So I, <laughs> I'm i very weird when it comes to a lot of things. Also, I'm very competitive. And
0: uh-huh.
1: so when I was first being shown yoga, it was a lot of sun salutations. It just... It created in me this combination of irrational, like anger. Not, I anger is a strong word. I I wasn't getting (laughs) outwardly angry. I was just inwardly like, okay, we did three of these
0: frustration.
1: Yeah, frustration.
0: Frustration. Like,
1: I don't, I don't need to keep doing this same movement over and over and over. And then it became. This thing where it's like, oh, well, I'm just going to do the three moves every time in yoga. And then, so then when I found other ones, I was like, oh, well, why don't I do this more? Like cat-cow, love cat-cow. I'll, I'll do that <laughs> all day. That move I can do over and over and over. But it's, right. I've, I've got a real, I still have a real uh, beef with the sun salutation thing. And it's such a big part of yoga that it's, it's sort of it is. barrier entry. It
0: can be. Yeah. Um, that's, and I think that I'm so glad I asked, I asked you to share because so many people say like, oh, I tried it once or or I went this one time and it's just not for me or I'm not flexible or all these things. And the I'm not flexible kills me because like, what if I told you I can't go to the gym because I'm not strong? You'd be like, dude, you go to the gym to get strong. Like you can come to to yoga to get, to gain flexibility and gain range of motion, gain strength and focus and all those things. But I always tell people who say they've gone once and they just didn't like it. I just say like, try again, try a different teacher, try a different spot, try a different style of class, because there's so many elements to a class and how much you enjoy it is so subjective. You know, you need to enjoy the the pace. You need to enjoy how much or how little challenge, you know, you're after. Is the class meeting that? Is the voice of the teacher, does that kind of match? the experience that you're looking for? Do you like their music selection or their lack of music selection? There's just so many elements and it's all subjective. So, you know, you might love my class and then Kelly might, might like it less or, but if you just try a few different ones, you hopefully land on something that you're like, "Mm, mm, this, this feels really good, you know, and then you can explore the, what feels good.
1: So how can people find you if they, they listen to this and they think Steph is the coolest. How can I find her? Let them know.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, Well, if you think that, thank you. (laughs) Um, You can find me. My website is super easy. It's um, www.steph.yoga. So that's an easy place to find me and everything of Septopia also lives there. So at the same location and I share a lot of fun stuff on Instagram It's kind of like a great place to have that like picture diary of what all is happening and where all the good news is. And my personal Instagram is at gypsy girl yoga, all one word. Um, You can find all things paddleboard yoga and all the fun, big groups that we get out on the water and yoga festivals that we're a part of that would all be at, at Septopia on Instagram. And then, of course, Next Level ohm, it has its own website, like I had said before. So it's nextlevelohm.com And it also has its own Instagram, which is just at nextlevelom, all one word. So gosh, I feel like that like must max all of it out. But lots of places to, to see everything and to get involved.
1: And so Next Level Om, it, is that, how do you spell it? Is that O-H-M?
0: Oh, just O M. So it's um next N-E-X-T level L E V E L O M dot com. Thanks for clearing that up.
1: The there Sorry. was a question I wanted to ask. Uh have, have you ever felt like you were in a rut? But I sort of, it sort of as you were going, kind of answered it for me. It doesn't sound like you ever have.
0: Oh, um, gosh, I definitely definitely have. I think Subtopia, starting Subtopia was kind of like my way of like launching right into something to avoid, avoid that gap of like, well, what do I do now? I was like, I'm just going to start this thing. But then with the comings and goings and for a few years, life was split between Subtopia and, and Wisconsin and, and while a lot of things in Wisconsin were, were fun, um, I did kind of feel in a rut during that part of my life. Um, You know, you're kind of just trying to get together. Uh, I was teaching in all these different little towns, which was great um, and fun. But you have to teach a lot of yoga to make ends meet in that sort of situation. So that was could be a stressful part of time. And as I had said, the comings and goings can be really challenging on your personal relationship. So kind of going through trying to navigate like what was at the time then and there. And then being in a situation where, where we were there was kind of on my, my husband's home ground as just sort of floundering a little bit to find like, who are my people here? Like who, who are my friends? Like I didn't really necessarily have any friends to just go out and have a coffee with and chat with. Like we had loads of drinking friends, but, I kind of was falling further and further away from wanting to be, to be drinking that much. So yeah, that kind of was a really challenging time where I didn't really feel like I had a community aspect so much. And I I struggled to kind of find that there, but I I did find um, some acro yoga about 45 minutes away. And I think when you live in a small town, you just kind of accept that to get to stuff you want to do, you're going to have to drive. So I drove myself out to this place where I could do acro yoga. And that kind of saved me a little bit because suddenly I had these, these other humans that I could play with and connect with and chat with. And something about acro yoga lets you get very real with people because you're, you know, you're trusting them to lift you up. They're trusting you to lift them up, to not let them fall, to not let you fall. You kind of pretty quickly with people that you do act for yoga with you open with them because, because you do have to be trusting and, and communicate well with them anyways, right? Like, Oh, could you like hold me this way? Or could you press a little bit here so that I can balance better? You know, you're, you're already communicating really well with them. So it was really great to kind of find that bit of community there and to kind of find a few people that I could be like, oh, these are, these are my people. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, it yeah. sounds like community is, uh, becoming a bigger thing to you. Is it as you're all, before we started recording, you told me a little bit about that, but what, what, what's the next step for you? What's, what's going to happen in the near future for Steph?
0: With the, the personal relationship challenges, um, my partner and I have decided to kind of go separate ways. And so I don't know that the Midwest is what's drawing me back, but I think I would like to move to try out, try on moving down to St. Pete's in Florida. They have a really amazing and warm, you can tell us how warm it is since you're down there, um, acro community, but like warm in their hearts and warm with the temperatures. And then there's a water ski team uh, about 45 minutes south in Sarasota. So I kind of think that those would be two communities I would love to, to be a part of and to get to know a little bit better, at least try it on for, for one winter and see if it's a good fit.
1: Yeah. I don't know how warm it is in people's hearts, but it's definitely uh, (laughs) hot, hot, hot out here in the heat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's, but it's beautiful down here. I think you'll have a great time and especially, you know, you're coming for all the right reasons, finding that community and you know, which aspects of social life that you're kind of getting over and which ones you're looking for. So I think you'll find a lot of success down here.
0: I hope so. I really hope so. I have like a weird thing for kites too. And I think they do a lot of kiteboarding. So maybe I can get into that too.
1: (laughs) Well, Steph, it was (laughs) great talking to you. Thanks for coming on and uh, talking to me and sharing a little bit of your life with us.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Joey. It's just been such a fun conversation and like my cheeks hurt from, from laughing and smiling. So I'm so grateful. Yeah.
1: That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out.